Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 18? We'll go back and include verse 14, which we looked at last time, with the text today and go from verses 14 to 17. For such is the kingdom of God. In the greater context, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. It started with a question from the Pharisees, but Christ had been teaching about the kingdom prior to the exchange with the Pharisees about the kingdom. All the way back, uh, last chapter, I think, the talk about the mustard seed that Christ had with them, how that the kingdom would begin humbly and small. but across time would, would grow. Now in this context, Jesus is teaching that first the kingdom is spiritual. And only those who are in the spiritual kingdom will enter into the earthly kingdom. And only those who are spiritual in the earthly kingdom will finally enter into the eternal kingdom. It is turning the religion of Judaism upside down, this teaching of Christ. This teaching of humility. This teaching of total and utter dependence on God, exclusive of personal behavior or conduct or, or self-defined obedience to the law. With those in mind then, continuing in the context of the kingdom, let's look at verses 14 through 17. I say to you, this one went down to his house justified rather than that one. The one who went down to his house justified was the tax collector who wouldn't even raise his eyes. And with his face on the ground, beating himself on the chest, cried out to God to have mercy on him, to be, to be propitiated toward him, to, to, to be appeased. It was the time, you remember, we looked at it last time, it was the time of one of those two times during the day when a sacrifice was made, the people were called to prayer. So on the minds of the people, of course, would have been the fact that a sacrifice for sin was being made there in the temple. It wasn't an empty ritual to the tax collector. It was the means, the only means of life and favor with God. There was nothing in his life that could gain favor with God. Only if God would be appeased because of the sacrifice. So Jesus said, this one goes to his house justified, but not that one, not the Pharisee who had proudly prayed to himself, you remember, that he was glad he wasn't like other people, especially that tax collector. For everyone exalting himself will be humbled, but the one humbling himself will be exalted. This now, this teaching is in the presence of the Pharisees. Then they were 
even bringing the infants to him, that he might touch them. However, having seen them, the disciples were rebuking them. Jesus doesn't have time for these little kids, these brats, these, these little things. He's, he's busy with important people. In the Roman era, the world in which they lived there, children and infants, it was a time up until the day that we live in, up until today, it was the time unparalleled in history for child abuse and infanticide. People were casting away their babies. I think it was Seneca who wrote that innocence was nowhere that even young girls were having children and just dropping them in the streets and going off and leaving them. Children to that mindset in that Roman era, if they weren't of the elitist group, were seen as, as a drag on society. They, they were not productive, and so they were useless. You think about that. Somehow these disciples, for some reason, were rebuking people who wanted Jesus to bless their babies. But Jesus, having called them to him, said, permit the little children to come to me and do not prevent this. Don't forbid this. For such is the kingdom of God. Now, gar tuutum, for such. This, Jesus is saying in the language, this illustrates the kingdom of God. This, they're coming to me as infants. For such is the kingdom of God. Well, let's think about this. Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God as a child will not enter into it. There is no greater tragedy in life for anybody who ever lives, who has ever lived, who will ever live, who lives today. There is no greater tragedy than the tragedy of being denied entry into the kingdom of God. There's only one other place to go. The lake of fire, hell. That's the only other option. There's nothing in between. Look at this. Whoever will not receive the kingdom of God as a child will not enter into it. I want to make six statements about this because this is, this beard itches me to death, I'll tell you. <laughs> June the 30th, June the 30th. Let's look at these things that we can consider. The question here is, who is fit to enter the kingdom of God? Now, right on the heels of, of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. One who was proudly proclaiming 
that there was no one like him, at least not in the immediate vicinity. Proudly, he boasted in prayer to himself, Jesus said, that he was above all others. This was the religion of the Pharisees. They, because they created the rules and were following the rules as they understood the rules, had made themselves fit to enter the kingdom of God. Really, who is fit to enter the kingdom of God? Well, it starts in Micah. This, you see, this is a, listen, this is the great foundation of justification. Who is righteous? Who, who is just? Who is fit to enter into the kingdom of God? This is a question that has to be answered correctly. Or it spells eternal tragedy. It spells eternal doom. If it's not answered correctly. Who's fit? Am I fit? This is the main question. I can't. I, I can't make other people fit, but what about myself? What about me? Goes all the way back to the Old Testament, but it is, but it is something that we're going to see continues in the New Testament. But let's start with Micah chapter 6. He has shown you, man, what is good. And what does Yahweh require of you but to effect justice and to love loving kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So much could be preached just here. Briefly, though, this is the requirement of Yahweh. This is what is good. Number one, to effect justice, righteousness. To be such that righteousness is effected upon you. That righteousness is imputed to you. That's number one. Number two, to love loving kindness. Chesed. That's a, that's a, a Hebrew word. Maybe your Bible says mercy or something like that. But it speaks... of the personal responsibility that God has assumed to establish a covenant between himself and people who don't deserve it and then from within himself make sure that the bond between himself and those who are of the covenant of God make sure that bond is maintained. This is the loving kindness of God. To love a merciful God. Number one, to be sure that righteousness is imputed to you. That the righteousness upon which you stand is biblical righteousness. Number two, to love a God who loved you first. To love God who does for you what you don't deserve. 
That's number two. And then number three, walk humbly with your God. There is never an occasion where the people of God can walk proudly. Walk humbly with your God. So then, with that in mind, Jesus uses the example of infants and children. Now let me go back to Luke 9. We were in Luke 9 several weeks ago. But I want to take us back to verses 46 through 48. An argument came up among them. The argument being that they were arguing who might be the greatest among them. But Jesus, having known the reasoning of their heart, having taken hold of a child, set it by him and he said to them, whoever will receive this child in my name receives me. And whoever will receive me receives the one having sent me. The one being least among you all, he will be great. Jesus, now back to our text, says this is how you enter. This is how the kingdom of God is entered. One simple, trusting heart at a time. This is how my kingdom is built. It's not built upon ethnicity, the blood of Abraham or whatever. It's not built upon self-defined self-righteousness. It's not built on anything other than one little humble soul at a time. This is how the kingdom is built. So Jesus uses the example of infants and children to make the point of entry and fitness for the kingdom. So what do we know about infants and children? Number one, they are totally dependent on another. If I might use the crude example of an infant, oh, they're nasty. They do unspeakable things out of both ends. <laughs> now, who in the world would take their newborn baby with a messy diaper and say, change yourself, I ain't touching that stuff. <laughs> None of us would. He has to have us to do that. Can't clean himself. We have to clean him. Well, Pat has to clean him. We had this agreement when we first started having children, and I've already forgotten my part of the agreement. I don't know what it was. I'm sure she'll remind me when he told me. We come to God nasty with filthy clothes, and we cannot change our clothes. God has to put clean clothes on us. Was it back in Zechariah where the the priest was in filthy clothes and God said, take that robe off of him and put a clean robe on him. We can't do that. God has to do that. We know this about infants and children. They have simple faith, faith and they trust the one who is caring for them. They have to. They don't know what to do. They don't know what's good for them. You have to feed them. 
You have to put them to bed. You have to get them up. You have to carry them around. You have to teach them all this stuff. A baby is totally dependent upon another and looks to the parent figure, to the parent in simple faith and full of trust. That's how their little lives begin. They have no merit. Well, what's a, what's a, you know, what's a, what's a baby going to do? Nothing. Isn't it amazing how we can just ogle and Google and, and giggle and do all these things over a little baby who ain't doing nothing? (laughs) That is so cute. It ain't nothing no different than what any other baby does. But he's our baby. And I've, I've, I've established the fact that it's cute. And it's unlike anything else. If the child has to, if the, if the little baby has any merit at all, I put the merit on the baby. I make him worth something. Decide that every little action is the cutest, most special thing in the world because of what I've done, what I have imposed upon the baby. Finally, the baby's helpless. Can't do a thing on his own. You can't walk off and leave a baby and say, fix your own meals, fix your own bottle, change your own diaper, do your own thing, I'll be back tomorrow. Can't do that. The infant is helpless. Christ says this is how you enter into the kingdom. Number one, there is no self-sufficiency within you. You don't have it within you to save yourself. There's not a good thing. There is none who does good. No, not one. And I cannot be separated from anyone else in the world when it comes to personal goodness and righteousness. I have none. No one has any personal righteousness. I have to depend on the Lord to clothe me in the righteousness of Christ. I come in childlike faith and trust, unable to do anything for myself. Only God can save me. Here's the tax collector, full of sin. He defrauded people. He stole. He was a whoremonger. Everything that you can think of was wrong in his life. And he came to the end of himself. And he realized at the temple time of prayer how useless and horrible he was. And the only thing he could plead for was mercy. I'm an undeserving sinner. I've done terrible things. Be propitiated. Be appeased through the sacrifice for me.
the sinner. This is how we come to the Lord. A totally broken, outcast sinner. <coughs> you see, excuse me, sin is sin. Sin is an abomination in the presence of God and He will not allow it. Therefore, He has to make it right. We can't make it right. He does. So we come in simple faith bringing nothing. There's no merit. I can't bargain with God. I, there's nothing I have within me. And I'm helpless. I cannot save myself. So Christ says, this is how you enter the kingdom. This is what makes you fit for the kingdom. To come like an infant, totally helpless and dependent. With simple faith and trust. Claiming no merit. Absolutely helpless. This is how you're saved. You come just as you are. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He came into this world to save sinners. So He makes us what we cannot make ourselves because we are drawn to Him and we come then by faith. Number four, the just will live by faith. It starts back in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. Connect, well, it starts, look at the proud, or behold the proud. This is Habakkuk 2 4. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just will live by his faith. The just will live by his faith. The righteous one. That verse is repeated three times in the New Testament. In Romans 1, Galatians 3, and Hebrews 10. The righteous will live by faith. We can't obey the law. We start out before we can read the English language. Before we can read the law. We start out breaking the law. Dishonoring our parents, bearing false witness, all kinds of things. Taking little things that aren't ours. Broken law. Fallen human race, depraved. We were lost. We were depraved in our mother's womb, says David. In sin, I was conceived in my mother's womb. I was already a sinner. Totally and utterly helpless. This is how we come. We come by faith. We cannot live any other way. We cannot be justified any other way. You can't do this and do that and do this and do that and then be saved. I actually heard a TV preacher many years ago say, this is what he said. He's probably dead now. I won't 
I won't call his name, but he, he always wore a, a wig. His, he gave his testimony. He said, you know, I knew I was going to be saved the next Sunday. <laughs> this kills me. It's, I don't know. And so I decided that I was going to go out and do all of the sinning that I could that week. Because once I got saved, I'd have to put all that sin behind me. Good grief. <laughs> I don't know about him. That's between him and God. But it doesn't work that way, you see. I'm going to be saved thus and so. You will be saved when God calls you to be saved or you won't be saved at all. You can't save yourself. I'm going to wait till next Sunday. I'm going to wait till revival time. I'm going to wait till Easter. I'm going to wait until after this or after that. Of course you can't decide that. That is totally not up to you. The just shall live by faith and it is in it starts out by the prophet and it is then repeated by the apostle. There's no other way. Simple, humble, selfless faith to be nothing before God. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20. Brothers, be not children in your minds, yet in the evil be little children, but in the thinking be full grown. In evil be little, in thinking be grown. That's an interesting phrase. That's an interesting passage. They're all in. Every passage is interesting. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you know what? I'm going to grant you this. You're going to mess up from time to time because sometimes it just happens. But understand that with the Holy Spirit in your life, you're automatically, automatically caused to restrain whatever it is. We're talking about children here, okay? I always heard this. Children do not hear the word don't. If you say, if you say, don't stick your head in the toilet, what the child hears is, stick your head in the toilet. Right? Don't take a hairpin and stick it in the electrical socket. The child hears Take a hairpin and stick it in the electrical socket. There are a lot of people that way, you know. Little childish stuff that happens. We're growing in Christ. Paul says, okay, understand that you, that you're, you have a fallen nature. You've been born again, but there's, this, there's these two guys in there struggling against each other. Keep the, keep the evil 
as a simple small thing and, and gain control of it and restrain it. But be an adult in your thinking. Don't think like a child. So we come to the Lord and there are little stumbling blocks along the way. Keep it restrained and your heavenly Father will discipline you as He sees fit and evil be little. But in thinking, be grown. Grow up in Christ and those other things will be less and less and less. Well, finally, this is our message. It's a wonderful, great, and simple message. God is only approached by simple faith and humility. You can't bring things in your hands to God and say, take this and save me. No. Simple faith, humility. You cannot come proudly before God claiming salvation on the basis of merit beyond and before others. You cannot do that. You must humble yourself before God. Jesus identifies an attitude or a disposition that operates in contradiction to the kingdom of God, namely the Pharisees. I can save myself. I'm better than that guy. I deserve heaven before he does. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that piece of trash falling on his face over there trying to pray. Never be confident in your own righteousness, nor be quick to look down on others. This is our great message. It doesn't matter who they are, where they are. Every person needs to hear the gospel of Christ. And all people come to the Lord on the same basis. It doesn't matter in this life if it's the president or a pauper. They are the same, on the same level ground before Almighty God. And there is nothing in life that may be considered prideful in the eyes of man that can hold any merit in the presence of God. So, you think you're smart? You're not smart. You think you're wise? You're not wise. You think you're self-sufficient? You are poor and needy and broken. You have nothing. Because only God can give it to you. You come to God humbly, finally. We must never view anyone as non-productive or of little interest for our cause. You know that old song, It Made News in Heaven When I Got Saved. No, it didn't. God already knew. I mean, you know, the point is this. I came, I came 
to the Lord. What was determined in eternity was caused to happen in time in my life when I was 10 years old. I grew up in a preacher's house. My granddaddy was a preacher. My daddy was, I had to go to church all the time. He was also my employer. So he knew whether or not I was tithing. <laughs> That's a rather insignificant in the eyes of the world, rather insignificant profession of faith. Here comes this guy, you know, he's, he's done this evil, that evil, whatever. Listen, because I lived a simple life in a Christian home, that doesn't make me any better, and that doesn't make him any worse than who both of us were before the Lord. All of us, regardless of life, are in utter need of the salvation of God, all of us. So we can't ever view anyone as non-productive. Oh, you know, let's go after these. I, I understand, I, I guess, I understand the principle that some churches do. You know, okay, we're going to, a, we're going to identify a certain profile of people and we're going to go after those people. We're going to build everything we do after this particular age group or this particular lifestyle or whatever. I don't know what about the other ones. I don't know. We can never view anyone as non-productive or of little interest to the Lord. He rebuked his disciples because they did this very thing. These little infants, they, they can't. Get, they can't do anything for us. Get them out of here. People come to the Lord. There is no one who is of more interest to the cause of Christ or of less interest than the other. We all come by the call of God, which was the same in my life as it was in anybody else's life who has been saved. Who is fit to enter into the kingdom of God? Nobody really. And that's how we come to the Lord. Lord, I'm not fit. Would you be mercy seated for me? Would you apply the blood of Jesus to my life? Would you take his righteousness and cover my filth? 